Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. Welcome to Aim Higher. And before we start, I should ask for all of you to do us a favor. If you like the podcast, if you don't, then don't do us a favor. But if you like the podcast, please go on and rate us on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Drop in a comment. We would love and appreciate it because that helps us get the word out. Today, we're talking about how to create a performance culture. Culture. I think about culture. What is culture? Miriam Webster defines culture as the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution or organization. The set of shared attitude, values, goals, and practices. I think it is that, but I think culture is so much more. Culture is at the core of every organization. It has a powerful influencing force on everything that happens and how it happens. It influences who joins, who stays, what gets done, what gets shelved. Talented people can come into an organization and fail in the wrong culture for them. And others who struggle in one place may land in a different culture and succeed in a way that the people at the former organization wouldn't believe if they were watching. It's culture. It's powerful. So culture is important. Performance is also important to any organization. Hitting goals, exceeding expectations, delighted customers, growing opportunities. All of these things are ways that we can look at performance, metrics, numbers. You like that, don't you, Jennifer? I do. I'm nodding my head and smiling. Culture of performance. <laughs> An entire organization, right, needs to be healthy, fit, driven, Clarity of goals, achieving those goals. So today we're going to talk about performance culture, and we have a star-studded panel, and we're very excited to have them. Jennifer Collins, who you just heard, who is here, who is specializes in what? With culture, we're going to say wellness and rewards and recognition. That's true. You do all of those things. So welcome, Jennifer. Welcome back. Thank I you. Say. Very happy to be here. And Drew Bordas, welcome. How do you want to describe yourself? Uh, for this podcast, let's talk about getting it done. That's surprising, that's what, that's you would what, say. Yeah, that's so what I'm shocking. In. Yeah, that's shocking. <laughs> really shocking. Tammy, learning. Spade, welcome. Yeah, learning. focus on learning, I think, for this focus particular on topic. We do have generalists here who have some specialized areas, and I think it is a great way for us to talk about this conversation of creating a culture of performance. And so- I think we should just start with some of the basics. What are some ways company culture drives performance? What are some ways that you would say, you know, the culture drives performance? One of the things that I sometimes coach people on when they're looking at an organization is how to understand that culture and whether it's going to be a fit for them. And a question that I suggest they ask is, what are the thou shalts and thou shalt nots in this organization? And they may be unwritten rules. They may be things that maybe are more articulated like values. But if you're talking to someone in that organization, what are those things like? Because it gives you a different view about working in that organization. What are the rules? What are the ways that people behave? How is failure handled? How is success measured? How does delegation happen? You mentioned for them to do that on an interview mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At, right at the beginning. So before yeah. you even join the company, 
Start asking these questions because you're trying to uncover whether the culture works for you. And I think that's really important because so many people think, I need a job. I want this job. I'm going to go for it. And they end up in a job in a culture that will not work for them. And it ends in, in a disaster. And it's so important to ask. So I like that question. So you're saying the, the shalls. The thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. Yeah, what are they here? And people kind of are taken back by that, but they give you a really qualitative answer. I really like that. I, I hadn't heard that before. That's a good one because you'll uncover very quickly the hot buttons, at least at that moment. Right. At least at that moment. Uh, I know coming in as the leader of an organization, sometimes I've had similar questions and I thought to myself, oh, that won't last, but, I, <laughs> but I'll leave that for another day. <laughs> that's a good one. So what are some ways company culture drives performance? And that's that's literally setting up a framework for what drives performance. If you're someone that actually does the thou shalt nots, for instance, thou shalt not, maybe in a culture I was in one company, thou shalt not come late to a meeting, or you were barred from getting in. I was in another organization right before that where if you came late, you were early because people wouldn't assemble for 15 minutes after the start time, and that was normal, and it was a very slow start. Right. Very different. <laughs> it's painful right. for me. It's painful. But another organization, people said, we start five minutes before the meeting is scheduled. And, you know, if you don't get there when this particular person is leading it five minutes before, the meeting's likely to be over and you'll have all the work. And so yeah, it, it, I should have asked the thou shalts and shalt nots. <laughs> that's, that's good. Company culture really can drive performance in ways that you don't always see. How do teams operate, I think, is one. Is it individual success here or is it teams? I think that company culture can drive performance. In Is this a supportive culture? Is this a learning culture? Is this a culture that thrives on training and, and stretch assignments? Or is this, no, we're a culture that does things over and over again in the same way? And there are some like that, very some operationally based cultures Doing the thing the same exact way is what drives the cost down because you're trying to have a repetitive process, and that's important. So it really does depend on the part of the organization. Any other ways you would say company culture drives performance? Well, I mean, I, I think it's it's in what you communicate and reinforce. And sometimes it can be in very subtle ways. It could be in an internal newsletter that goes out to the company. It could be in photos you hang on the wall. It could be things you talk about. I mean, I've I've seen cultures where – you know, the CEO wants to drive performance and, and everybody else is talking about what meeting they attended. Um, it's a total disconnect. I've seen others that are very performance-based where, you know, in a warehouse, there's a scoreboard, a digital scoreboard at the top of the building where everybody can see it. And ranking and, everybody. And ranking. And every head in the warehouse looks up when they know it refreshes. Like, that's performance. Are you actually talking about and celebrating and reinforcing performance in everything the company does or not. Yeah, I think it's, you know, what what is the work environment that you're fostering? What are you supporting and how are you ensuring that your organization is aligned on the goals or on the customer needs or on, you know, employee priorities? When you're trying to get that full cycle, you know, what are the things you're looking at to ensure that everything's aligned and what's that work environment that you're fostering? And what is performance, which also then drives the culture? It, they are linked. I think about different people and how they've led. So uh, recently, our friend Tony Shea passed away, who was the CEO of Zappos. 
And he created a very unique culture at Zappos. And visiting Zappos and walking around with him, you could see that unique culture because performance was not simply a metric of dollars. It was completely different than everybody at the time. Instead of how many calls you were answering and how fast, he was trying to say, how long could you keep the customer on the phone? So they would celebrate somebody who had stayed on the phone for 14 hours. And this was amazing. And they'd celebrate because it was driving a relationship and a completely different type of performance. So what is performance and how you define that performance really does then impact the culture. And it was such a crazy uh, culture there. In fact, embrace a little weirdness, I think, was one of their values. So performance does matter. And I've been other places where, you know, it's purely, you know, sense, like every single penny is all that we care about. And that is performance. So anything else you do doesn't matter. If, if customers are extraordinarily happy or not happy, we don't care as long as the penny is going in the right direction. So that really does matter. Think of Amazon and, you know, customer happiness, et cetera. It, it really is a interesting way to link culture and performance. Well, and, and that's where communication is so key because I, I've, I've been in some meetings where the leadership team is looking at Project X as a complete failure. The team working on it had no idea it was a failure, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, was thinking, wow, I thought we did something pretty great. That's where if you're not clear all the way down, right? It's not just up to the CEO, all the way down the chain of, what are we trying to do? How do we know we're winning? How do we know we're doing what we set out to do? You can really end up in some serious disconnects. Yeah, I think that's the picture, too, of a balanced scorecard. You know, that concept came about a few years ago. And when you think about performance in an organization, you need to think about it in a balanced way. You have to think about the financial elements, but you also have to think about customer experience. You have to think about people and learning you have to think about process and efficiency. All those things have to be in balance because if you are imbalanced in one of those areas, think of an individual, your physical, your emotional, mental, spiritual. If there's an imbalance, then it causes too heavy a weight on the other part of the organization. So you really do have to look at performance, I think, in a balanced way. If that's what you choose to do at that time. And I think that's, that's the important thing. So it is balanced. and I love the concept of the balance scorecard. There are also times, as my friend Dan Thurman will say, that you want to be off balance on purpose. And so if you know that you want to focus in one particular area, I'm going to deliberately tilt. But the key is I'm doing it deliberately. I'm doing it for that purpose. So that balance is so key. But there may be times when, you know, I've led organizations where cash was so important that it wouldn't succeed we wouldn't have enough cash to move forward in August if we didn't hit this number in July, right? That's a crisis situation. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to be off balance on purpose, yeah. right? Whereas in a healthier organization, hitting things at full stride, then we can now think more of that balanced way uh, in a healthier long-term way. That's the goal, right? That's yeah. where we want to – that's the North Star. But not easy all the time for every organization to get there. True. And sometimes when you're off balance in one area, you have to – overemphasize another to get righted again, to get that load balanced again. Or, as you said, sometimes there's a crisis issue. And I've seen leaders come into organizations where there was an overcompetency maybe on, you know, the learning side and maybe not enough financial acumen or focus on efficiency and process. And so you have to overfocus in those areas to catch up in your investment. Mm. 
to get that balance back, if that makes sense. It does. That's good. And giving that organization time. It's also important that the leader adjusts based on the culture and doesn't force a cookie cutter mode of this is what I've experienced, right? Instead of saying, okay, we needed this for a time. Now where are we? And reassess because we're in a different place. I think it's also very, very difficult for people who've been in a culture to assess the culture. Because when you're new, you see things very differently. And so how do you really assess a culture? And I think that's important. You know, at the end of the year, I always step back from my life and I take an objective look as best I can of how did I do? What do I want to do next year? The organization. I spend time on regrets. Some people say live life with no regrets. I look at and go, what would I do differently? Because I can learn a lot from that. Or what should we be doing next year? So I, I think all of those things uh, become very, very important. Yeah, I think part of that is when you're coming into a new company and you always come in and you think, you know, here's this opportunity. What can I do? How can I make my splash? Or how can I create this and own this? And then you're like, oh, that was really great. That was really successful. You get into this rhythm and it's almost one of maintaining things. And you get into this kind of a status quo you know, whereas you've been here for several years, it's like that's been working, but now we need to kind of reassess and reevaluate and think, okay, but we probably need to assess change. We need to do something differently. I think especially with COVID, I think with the post-COVID environment, I think things are going to look so much differently, especially in my world. I think, you know, benefits and wellness and what that means, what does total health mean for people coming out of this pandemic and how that's going to change and what I'm going to need to do differently. I cannot any longer maintain what I've been doing, even if that has been successful. I'm going to have to look at a different way of doing things. And Jennifer, you know, my head was in the in the a little bit of the COVID effect on performance also. I think as leaders, it's really shined a light on how do you measure it? How do you know? You know, I mean, attendance, like don't confuse attendance with performance. Mm. Just because you're in the office 40 hours a week doesn't mean you're performing. And that's always been true. But now that everybody is all of a sudden remote, how do you know? How do you measure? And for some teams, it's very clear, right? You know, I'll use customer support. It's a, I, love, I love their example. You can tell if people are closing cases or not. It's very clear. But for other job areas where it's not as um, tangible, it's tough to measure performance all of a sudden. And mm -hmm. was it ever clear? No, no. Right. And that's why I say don't confuse <laughs> attendance with performance, right. right? And that might be something that we come out of this to look at differently. Mm -hmm. Say how if, if we're all going to be more flexible, more hybrid, more... We're going to have to have a way to measure and say, is, are you getting it done or not? Really good. I want to talk about some characteristics of a performance culture. What is it? What What is it that when you walk into an organization, you say, well, this is a performance culture, or you distinguish that and go, no, this is a culture of, let's call it stagnation. How do you know? What are the things? I mean, you just sometimes feel it, right? So you go into an organization, whether you're interviewing, whether you're visiting, whether you just joined, how do you say, well, this is a performance culture. I'll give a few examples that I think help. One is a performance culture has clarity of vision. They know where they're going. They have shared organizational goals that link back to that vision. They have talented leaders. There's also a sense of empowerment the right level of empowerment, empowered associates. Perhaps there's a spirit of innovation and experimentation, right? That is a culture of performance, meaning you can fail and not be fired for the first thing you do wrong. They have a drive to perform. And another one I would add is a performance culture has respect, respect for each other, respect for differences, 
respect for diversity, respect for different approaches, isn't just it has to be this way, but respect for new ways of doing things or a different way of looking at things. So those are some of the characteristics I think about when I think about a performance culture. What are other things that you would add, or is there any on that list that ring true with you? I think those all ring true. I would probably add agility to that. I think, especially with the external factors, we were talking earlier about post-COVID environment, and I think agility is big. I think, yes, you need to understand the how and the why of what may or may not have happened, but how are you going to move forward from this and be able to pivot, whether that's with ease or with challenge, but being able to pivot and move forward on the basis of that. I think something that struck me that you said was, is everybody talking about the same thing? And I don't mean it in a cult-like way, because there are organizations that do that. I mean it in a in a performance way. So I'll use Amazon as an example. Working with them in the past, I don't know how many times I heard the word customer experience. Are you impacting our customer experience? If you heard that, you knew you were about to be dead, right? I mean, <laughs> it mattered to them. Um, I've seen other organizations in, in a very good way where if you talk to finance, if you talk to HR, if you talk to operations, everybody's talking about what sales de- deal are we winning next. They're all locked in on their part of pushing that forward. And I think that's where you can see that the message is really sinking in. It's not just goals written on a wall and yeah, we're all for them. It's we are all trying to achieve that right there. That's where you can tell you've got it. Yeah, I think the common understanding of the vision is really, really important. If you ask, and people will articulate it in different ways, but if you get that same general sense You've got an organization that is pulling in the same direction. The other dynamic that I often, again, will coach people if they're looking at an organization to join them is ask, what new things are you doing as an organization? Because performance organizations tend to not be only in maintenance mode. They tend to be doing new Mm, things. They tend to be innovating. And if you get the answer that says, well, not much, we're, you know, we just pretty much are status quo. You know, there are times when when that's okay. Maybe you've been in a heavy period of investment and so you're, you know, maintaining and getting things efficient. But if it's an organization where new things aren't happening, it's probably not a performance culture. It's good innovation. Keep it going. Otherwise, you're definitely... I mean, that was a Twitter quote right stagnation. there. Tammy Spade. <laughs> boom. <laughs> I just usually put Tammy Spade, boom. Yes. <laughs> right, right, right. A culture of stagnation. Is the opposite of this culture of performance, this culture of mediocrity. It just, you know, continues on. So you don't see those things. You don't see the innovation. You don't see leaders stepping up. You don't see risk taking. You don't see new things because it's just the same old. No energy. No energy. I mean, a a good performance culture, they're excited about what they're doing and they want to achieve. They want to do it as a team. Like you can sense that. So how does a leader create? a performance culture. What steps would you say a leader goes about it this way? Yeah, you fire all the unhappy people until <laughs> culture improves. That's a quote, right? right? I think that's a I think <laughs> I, I think that's a saying on one of those despair. I think it is too. Yes, <laughs> right. All all the HR people just stop listening. Yes. No, um, you know, Jennifer said something earlier about recognition. And Drew, you were talking about this too. I think one of the ways you create a performance culture is recognizing and rewarding performance. Obviously, there are different types of performance, but people tend to pay attention to not just the words of your value and your culture, but what gets rewarded, what gets recognized. And when performance and achievement of common goals is recognized, that is reinforcing for the performance culture. Definitely. That's good. I I think of seven different steps for 
creating a performance culture. And the first is, I think, the leadership team needs to define it. Oftentimes, people just think it's going to materialize and their performance culture. But just like I was talking about with Tony Shea and Zappos, he defined what it was. And if you go to a different organization and you say, okay, well, what is it at GE? It's going to be very different than it would be at the local bakery, right? So defining what it is. The second is communicating it. So oftentimes you define it, but you have to communicate it. And you have to communicate it over and over and over, right? If there's values like speed, accountability, and execution. I've heard that before. Have you heard that one? Yes. <laughs> you want to communicate that and you want to do it. But the third thing is different. And, and this is one that I think people miss as leaders. It's not communicate it and there. The third one is you got to sell it. Because if you communicate it and nobody believes it and you haven't sold it and nobody bought it, you have nothing. So you have to sell it. And that is a very complicated one people don't think of. The fourth is you have to have the right people. So it's really, really important. For instance, if your goal is to have a culture that's more safe and a safety kind of culture, and you have someone that fires everyone every five minutes, that's not going to work. Or if you have somebody that is the reverse and saying, we want to hire just for innovation all the time, et cetera. So how do you get that right balance? One of the things I look for is positivity. You have to hire for somebody who has positivity. You can't train someone to be more positive, whereas others are just looking at the skills. But then you end up with the people that are skilled, but maybe they're all negative. And so you have to be very cognizant of the skill set and the personality makeup you're looking for. The sixth, Tammy mentioned earlier, celebrate, recognize, you said. It's that recognition piece. So if you find a bright spot of that culture, do you celebrate it? Do you make sure there's a spotlight on it? Leaders always put a spotlight on others who are performing with excellence. That is so key. So celebrating and recognition. And the seventh is you got to weed. You got to weed out the problems at every opportunity. I'm not talking about weeding out people that could be a part of it. I'm talking about if you see something wrong, you don't just let it pass. You got to weed it out. You got to say, here's what I'm noticing. Am I wrong on this? Could you look at this? I, I want to weed this out. It's either it doesn't fit the culture I want. It doesn't really match what we're trying to do. I got to use this as a learning opportunity for all of us, for both of us. And maybe I might move and change my position, but you might. But you got to weed it out because a performance culture weeds out anything that is not performance as defined by the leader in number one. So do you weed it out? I think that's another really, really important one. What would you add or steps or how does that resonate with you as I'm talking well, through this. Something you said that I think is good information for everybody is the sell it part. You could think early in your career, well, just wait till I'm CEO and I'm going to say this and everybody's just going to magically just fall into line with all my wishes. Doesn't happen. And boy, does it not work that way. And so even the CEO, even if you're at the top, you still got to sell it. You got to sell your vision, especially when you're in a culture change and you want to drive something that wasn't there before and you need people to come along with you, you really got to sell it. That one is important. Yeah, and it's not one people think about. No. They just think, oh, I'm going to communicate it, and this is the way it is. This or is when the I'm the boss, I, don't, I won't have to sell anything. Uh, you do. You do, because you're not going to win hearts and minds right. if you're just saying, here's, here's the plan. Especially when you're fighting entrenched history, bureaucracy, methodology, things of the way – it had been done before, especially when you do need people to change. I think it's important because a lot of people will think, I don't need to sell it 
I just declare it. This is the way it right. goes. But that is very short-term thinking. Because if you're asking somebody to change, they may buy into the vision. But then if you're actually asking them to change workflow, you need to sell that behavior because workflow is not going to change on its own. They have to be motivated to do it. They have to understand the why, the what, the where we're going. All of those things, I think, are very, very important. You know, the selling piece is very critical. It's really replicating the success options, too, because you can't, as a leader, be everywhere doing everything. So when you're selling the vision, you're not going to be able to think about every single step in the process and as that widens and goes out into the organization. It's very important to get people engaged. I think if you don't and you say it, you'll probably get compliance, but you won't get collaboration. You won't get the creativity that comes with people kind of, you know, believing it themselves. You need the coalition of the willing. There you you go. You need to find those people, celebrate them, promote them, give them hard assignments. just to build that groundswell because you can't do it all yourself. Right. Selling that how and that why and ensuring they understand the how and the why and how that alignment comes all the way down to their individual contributions, how they're relevant to those goals. And that brings me to how do you build a performance culture into the review process? You're a manager. How do you build into the review process a way to encourage a performance culture? What are the best ways? Well, one thing that we've done is shift from performance review or assessment or evaluation to a conversation. And Skip, this was an idea that you had, but we use just five or six basic questions. And a couple of them, I won't go through all of them, but a couple of them are, what lessons did you learn this year? And what did you do to contribute to the success of your team and the organization this year? And when you put those open-ended questions out there, you have the opportunity then to talk about performance, both performance in terms of qualitative and quantitative outcomes and things that are enhancing your performance and therefore enhancing the performance of the organization, things that you've learned. Yeah, things that you've learned, things that you're proud of. What do you feel like you've accomplished? What does success look like to you? How do you define success? How did you achieve results? And then on the flip side of that, where do you feel you weren't as strong? Where do you think you could develop? What could we work on together? It's great to have that open-ended question, too, because what's very interesting in those conversations is they may be voicing things back to you that don't match your definition of success. I attended 68 meetings. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't care about any of that. Right. That didn't move the needle one bit. And it's an opportunity to sync up with expectations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you and I have done this where, uh, you know, I'll turn in a self-review and you'll be like, uh, you didn't mention like these seven things that I found really important that you did. And I'm like, well, here's why I didn't mention those. I just didn't see them that way. Like, or you might say I was more brilliant than I thought. Yeah. Wow. I really <laughs> should write those down. But, but it's you're out of sync a little bit where the way the manager sees, here's what I value that you did. Here's what I thought was extraordinary. Here's what um, could have been better, could be totally out of sync with what the person, how they viewed their own year. Which by the way, is a little side tip. There's always a benefit to these. These are the little tips on aim higher that you will never get anywhere else. And that is this. If you're the manager or the boss doing a performance review, don't wait And read the performance review first before thinking about that review. You write down some of the things you're thinking about top of mind to that person first before you get it in. Because that's why I uncover that. Well, and you you anchor your mind. 
if you're doing that. That example works with a lot of different things of, hey, I'm going to send you a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint about this. Write down your thoughts before you read what I've got. It's right? so yeah. very important. So we're going to stop talking about this because we're going to do a whole episode on yes. performance <laughs> reviews because it's such a very important topic. I want to just move to one last thing, which is the leadership difference between personal and cultural, between one and many, between the leader doing it and the organization, because a culture of performance is often mistaken for the leader. It's often mistaken and that the leader is the only person that creates a culture of performance, but a culture is everyone. And I think it's very important that Everyone listening to this, you might say, oh, I'm not a manager. I don't have this job. I'm not a CEO. I'm not the director. Everyone needs to know that you, right now where you are, whether your career is just starting or whether you're way up in an organization, you create your very own culture of performance. That culture of performance starts with your habits. It starts with your daily disciplines. Jim Rohn used to say to me all the time, Success is just a few daily disciplines. Failure is just a few errors in judgment practiced every day. So you can decide every day, am I going to move toward success or am I going to move to failure? So you have to think of yourself as creating your own bubble, your own culture of performance, whether it's eating well and your health practices, whether it's spiritual practices, whether it's training and classes you want to take or academic achievements, whether it's teamwork, whether it's learning how to deal with a very difficult person on your team that irritates you constantly and you can't believe it every time you get an email. No, I'm just kidding. No, he's it's, not. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's whatever that is, right? How do you make sure that you're working on yourself and not to make the mistake to think, that this is all culture and organization and in a box. And you think, oh, I can't impact this big culture that I'm in. Actually, you can. You can impact your own culture. You can practice with your morning ritual and change your own performance culture for your life. Just start there. Any other things that you would highlight in terms of this personal need to create a culture of performance for your own life? Well, I mean, an organization, it's not a thing, right? It's a combination of a lot of people individually doing their part every day. It's not, hey, get up and do just a little bit extra every day. It's not that. It's just, are you helping the company get where it's trying to go or not? And if you are, everything else takes care of itself, I feel like. Your career, your ambition, your security, you control what you can control. You can't control everybody else in the company. You can't control everything that happens in the market or the world or politics or whatever, but you can control your activities and what you do. And the more valuable you become, the more value the collective organization has. So that's why personal development to me is so linked to company culture. Any other last minute comments on driving a performance culture, how to make sure that the organization that you're in and you personally are aiming higher? Well, I love that you challenge the listeners and us to change culture or to help drive culture from whatever position you're in. And it reminds me of something that you often say, and that is leadership is not positional, it's personal. So for me, that that's a great reminder of just every day thinking about, is this contributing to the culture that I want to create in my team or in this group? Is it you know, somehow antithetical to this culture? So it's a great question just to ask yourself as you're going through your day. And it's a great family 
question too, mm. because families also perform. It's different. The goals are different. The metrics are different. Jennifer, you can't put it in a spreadsheet all the time. Oh, you oh can. I, I'll oh, find yeah, a way. You you I'll find a way. It'll be really pretty too. They really reacted to that. They do. That's, that's just not true. <laughs> They're like, we have 12, okay? <laughs> I don't. Anyway, this is so key. Personal development, organizational development, culture. If you want to have a high-performance culture, these are great concepts for you to think of. And that is what we want you to do so that in this next year, you personally, professionally, and organizationally can aim higher. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher.